Bah, 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 bah. All I hear is ball, so I got a ball. All I do is win, but I had to fall the best part. Was getting up again, ball, ball, ball. All I hear is ball, so I got a ball. All I do is win, but I had to fall the best part. Was getting up again, waking up again, cause I was how with friends. We be Arctic in a frying pan. What's important, man? You want foil, man? Illuminate and then distorted, man. I'm submerging in, it's a fact. Off the bench from the west side, for the west side, high echelon. Serving them like restaurants. Hey, same, same. We are not the same. Same, same, 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 we are not the same. What it do, world? Welcome back to another episode of the ISO Podcast. I am your host. You should know me by now if you're tuning in, but if this is your first time listening, welcome. You are now a member of the home team, and I am your host to guide you through this basketball journey we're going to take, and I go by the name of Trey Crowder. Welcome back, everybody. Um, Been out for like the last few weeks. I've been busy as fuck. (laughs) like super busy and among other things man just been trying to enjoy this holiday season you know like with work um you know doing the podcast still managing the website all the shit I got going on I still got to make time I make time out for myself you know I mean enjoy family and just make sure I'm keeping my sanity man but this is definitely therapeutic for me I've been keeping up with everything that's been going on in the world of who's from high school college pros so we're definitely going to get into it I hope everybody's having a wonderful start to their week. Um, Mondays is usually the toughest day for me, (laughs) but, um, you know, definitely with, with with this week coming up, I don't think it'll be too busy. I got the next two days off, so I can't complain, man. I can't complain. (laughs) But other than that, man, uh, just like I said, I've been chilling. I recently, I saw Queen and Slim. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but Real dope movie. I appreciated it. A lot of concepts that they had hidden in there that I really, really, really enjoyed. Definitely encourage all my people to go see that one. Um, I wouldn't steer you wrong. So I'm telling you it's a solid film. Usually when I give suggestions on here, whether it be music, whether it be movies, if I'm taking the time out to talk about some shit that's completely off topic of what we discussed, which is hoops, you definitely got to take my word for it. I promise you I would not steer you in the wrong direction. But as far as music, too, it's been been a lot of dope albums I've been listening to recently. Um, I played a couple tracks on the previous episodes of that Dave East survival album. That's been dope. Uh, but Roddy Rich, man, I've been listening to that like crazy. That Roddy Rich album, I think, it's, please excuse me for being antisocial is what it's called. That album is, is probably one of my favorite rap albums of the year. Um, it's one of those albums that you can just play all the way through. So if you got some time, check that out and um, definitely go see Queen and Slim. Go support black movies. <laughs> but uh, welcome back, you guys. Happy happy that you guys can join me. We got a lot to get into today. Like I said, we got to make up for some lost time. So we're going to get right into it. So let's start off with the birthday shout outs, man. So we're going to start out with a veteran, man. I feel like he fell off the radar he went to, I remember when Nicholas Batum used to be on the Portland Trailblazers hitting big shots. Uh, he was like their wing defender. This is with a young Damian Lillard, LaMarcus Aldridge. That used to be like one of my favorite teams to use on 2K. 
And now he's on the Hornets and shit, it's games where I've watched him and forgot that he was even on the court. <laughs> but Nicholas Batum just turned 31, so shout out to him. Uh, Rocco, Robert Covington, one of the best defenders in the league, um, perimeter, interior, he can do it all, man. Watching him is almost like watching a video game when I realize how many times he swipes the ball <laughs> from the opposing offensive players. It's pretty impressive to watch, man, because I, I remember when he was in Philly, I didn't watch the games too much, but I know he was always lauded as like a, a premier defender. So these Timberwolves games with that league pass, I've been checking them out, man. He's the real deal. So uh, happy birthday to Rocco. Just turned uh, 29, so approaching the 30s, but still got a lot of value in the, on that defensive end considering that's a lost art, um, you know, in today's basketball on any level, <laughs> for, for real. Um, Lonnie Walker the fourth. I'm a big fan of this guy. He just turned 21, and he's a member of the Spurs right now. He comes off the bench, but super-duper athletic. He could light it up. Um, he was really, really explosive scoring the ball in the summer league, so keep an eye out on him because he's starting to crack that rotation Um he had a, a big game against the Rockets last week, hit some big shots down the stretch, and um, just showing what he can do when given opportunity. So happy birthday to Lonnie Walker IV. Uh, Jaleel Okafor just turned 24. Seems like Jaleel Okafor has been in the league for 10 years. <laughs> he hasn't, but he's just been getting bounced from team to team, unfortunately. It seems like a decade ago, like I said, since he won that championship at Duke with Tyus Jones and Quinn Cook and Justice Winslow, but... Now he's just trying to trying to find his way in the league, man. And he one of those one and done players that you just you hate to see them get bounced from team to team because his future was so bright coming out of Duke and a lot of people had high expectations for him in terms of like how he can score the ball on the offensive end. Never was really a big defender, but I always thought he would be kind of like an Al Jefferson type. And that was a lot of the comparisons they had for him coming into the league. But Hadn't really lived up to expectations, but still collecting the check at the end of the day, so he's still winning. <laughs> he just turned 24. Let's move on to some uh, NBA scores, though, from last night. So uh, New York Knicks continue to stink it up. I knew they weren't going to beat us. They played the Denver Nuggets last night, and we won 111-105. to 105. It was a home game, so the New York Knicks did not stand a chance. But really, to be honest, if the New York Knicks are playing an NBA team, they probably aren't going to stand a chance because they're that bad. <laughs> um, the Orlando Magic. They traveled to New Orleans, and they took down the Pelicans. They actually handed the Pelicans, not the Orlando Magic. They haven't beat the Pelicans 12 straight times. The Pelicans suffered their 12th straight loss. So the Pelicans have lost 12 in a row, and that is actually a franchise record. So making history, but the wrong kind. And then moving on to Charlotte Hornets versus the Indiana Pacers. Uh, Charlotte scored 85 points, but it was not enough as they fell to the Indiana Pacers 107-85 to in Indiana. Uh, the Los Angeles Lakers took care of business on the road, took down the Atlanta Hawks 101-96. to I mean, it's kind of expected. Trey Young probably had like 50 points, but they lost. <laughs> I actually got him on my fantasy team. He's been balling. He just shoots hella inefficient. He just its nobody else to really score the ball or take it, go get a bucket for themselves. So that's expected. Um, Lakers, they've been clowning too. I'm going to talk a lot, a lot about them this episode. Uh, Philadelphia 76ers, they lost to the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, they had a little streak going, too. That just ended. Uh, score was 109-89, and the game took place in Brooklyn. So Spencer Dinwiddie had a big night in that matchup. Uh, and Joel Embiid actually sat out with, a, uh, I think, an upper respiratory infection. So hopefully he gets back right. They need him. Uh, Philly's been playing well this year, though. And then uh, the Sacramento Kings, they took down the Golden State Warriors. 
What else is new? Everybody is kicking the Golden State Warriors' ass. <laughs> I feel so bad for D'Angelo Russell and Draymond Green. They're like the only people on the court that has actually experienced like a lot of success in the NBA. I wouldn't say a lot for D'Angelo Russell. He's just now bursting onto the scene as a star player. But for Draymond Green, this, is, has, to, this has to be terrible. He's been a winner on every level of basketball that he's ever played on. And now he's a member of like the worst team in the league. So it has to. I feel for Draymond, man. He just got to stick it through. Clay and Steph will be back next year. But uh, Sacramento Kings scored 100. They took down the Golden State Warriors, uh, like I said, 100 to 79. And then just some standouts from uh, last night's performance. LeBron James had 32 points, 13 boards, and 7 assists. Vintage King James type performance. He's been going crazy this year, so I wouldn't expect anything else. Nikola Jokic of the Denver Nuggets dropped 25 points, had 10 rebounds and 5 assists. He's starting to whip back into shape too, man, because I watched a couple of those games. He disappointed me because I know that's my squad. He just, man, he just seems so out of shape. So just watching him, you know, have a couple good games. He had a a big night, uh, had a triple-double the other night. So hopefully he can keep putting those performances together so we can keep stacking up the wins. And then uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich for the Sacramento Kings, he had a big night against the Warriors. He dropped 25 points, shot 9 for 11 from the field, which is crazy, and uh, 4 for 5 from the three-point line. So shout-out to those guys, LeBron James, Nikola Jokic, and Bogdanovich for ISO standout performances last night. Moving on to today, though, the NBA games we got on the slate. The Washington Wizards are going to visit the Detroit Pistons. The uh, Cleveland Cavaliers are going to visit the Toronto Raptors. Dallas Mavericks are headed to Milwaukee to take on the Bucks. I, I was looking forward to that matchup, but Luka just went down. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but um, Bucks should get that one pretty easy now. Chicago Bulls will take on the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, in Oklahoma. The San Antonio Spurs will visit the Houston Rockets. Um, And then the Miami Heat will take on the Memphis Grizzlies in Memphis. And then the Portland Trailblazers will head out here to Phoenix to take on the Suns. So a lot of good games going on. Not a ton of games, but still some pretty good matchups. So let's go ahead and look at some NBA news. Unfortunately, most of this news is injuries, but we got to talk about it. Per usual, you know I got to let y'all know, if you have not already checked out the website, please go visit www.hoopfacts.com. I will be throwing some new content on there this week. Like I said, I got back-to-back off days, so I'm going to have time on my hands to work on my shit. So I'm going to throw some stories up there. Um, And then, of course, uh, if you are not following me on Instagram and Twitter, what are you doing? (laughs) If you're not following, go follow me, man. Instagram and Twitter, the exact same handle is at HoopFacts, H-O-O-P, underscore, underscore, F-A-C-T-S. Again, that's H-O-O-P, underscore, underscore, F-A-C-T-S. And then uh, the website is www.hoopfacts.com. Again, that is hoopfacts.com, site for real basketball fans. So back to the uh, injury reports. <laughs> Man, it's, it's a lot. Well, I would, not a ton, but this one hurt bad. I, I feel like over the weekend when this happened, I probably, if we were in that stadium, let me just tell you what happened. So the Mavericks forward, uh, Luka Doncic, he's expected to miss the next two weeks with a sprained right ankle. Uh, he suffered the injury in their 122-118 to 118 loss to the Knicks over the weekend. He exited in the first quarter of the contest and did not return. And the way the injury occurred, he stepped on the foot of heat guard Kendrick Nunn. So Luka's been going crazy this year, definite MVP candidate. Took a Mavericks team who were nowhere near playoff contention last year to like a top five team in the West right now. So he's been a huge, huge member of just – the excitement in the NBA, he has a lot to do with it this year. So I know when he twisted that ankle, I didn't watch the game. I saw the highlight, but I can imagine 
the hearts of every single person <laughs> in that arena probably drop. You probably could hear a pin drop if you were inside that arena, just considering how devastating of a blow that would have been if he was to miss significant time. So they dodged the bullet there. He's not going to miss too much time, but expected to miss the next two weeks. So they got to pull it together and hold it down for, uh, for Luka. And then uh, moving on to Milwaukee, Bucks guard Eric Bledsoe is also expected to miss the next two weeks with a right fibula fracture. So Bledsoe left in the third quarter of their win on Friday over the Grizzlies. So he, uh, with that leg injury, hopefully he can get back right. He was all defensive on the all-defensive team last year. He's a big part of what they do. He's been scoring the ball pretty effectively this year. He's, he's a real solid player. You don't have to, like, draw too many plays for Eric Bledsoe. And if you do, he can still get the job done to uh, if you want to run the offense through him. So I've been a big fan of, of Bledsoe since he was in Kentucky, you know, playing alongside John Wall with DeMarcus Cousins down low. So I like to see him still doing well. Uh, any guard that can still play defense and get you a bucket is definitely going to be highly coveted. And he's been helping that team rack up the win. So um, in Sacramento, Kings forward Marvin Bagley III returned to the hardwood over the weekend after missing 22 games with a broken thumb. Uh, last night, he actually had 17-6 and six, uh, in their win against the Warriors off the bench. Uh, Marvin Bagley was the second overall pick in last year's NBA draft after one standout season at Duke. He was killing. Uh, I was that front line. They had him and Wendell Carter. So uh, good to see him back. I got him on my fantasy team, so I need my boy to produce. Getting that starting lineup, sit Rashawn Holmes, bum ass down. <laughs> nah, no disrespect. Rashawn Holmes actually been doing his thing, no lie. But Marvin Bagley is the top pick, man. So you got to expect him to crack back into that rotation. So I'm excited about that. And then um, in Charlotte, Hornets rookie P.J. Washington. He is expected to be out through Christmas with a fractured finger. Uh, this injury actually happened in the fourth quarter of their 83-73 to win over the Bulls on Friday. So, like I said, over the weekend, a whole lot of injuries happening. But um, he's been doing this thing. Uh, in his first year, he's averaging 12 points, five rebounds, shooting real efficient from the field, uh, 48% and 40% from the three-point line. So can't ask for too much more from a first-year player. So moving on to some other basketball news. Uh, <laughs> the Dion Waiters saga continues. And in today's episode of Philly Cheese, we have more stupidity from yours truly. No, <laughs> not yours truly. Look, he's stupidity rubbing off on me. <laughs> but uh, we have more stupidity from Dion. If you missed episode one a few weeks ago, uh, Dion Waiters got suspended after eating an edible and having a panic attack on the team plane. <laughs> well, this time is much of the same. So Dion Waiters uh, has been suspended for six games after... Uh, he called in sick. I didn't even know NBA players could call in sick, and I'm not joking. But he called in sick. But this is the part that got him suspended. He posted a picture on Instagram, and apparently he was, like, chilling and hanging out on a boat. But he posted it. Like, you are a fucking celebrity. Like, even if you weren't in the NBA, if you were just a known face and you did that with the Explorer page and all kind of shit on, on Instagram, somebody is going to see you. But let alone... Somebody else doing it, he posted it. So, way to cheddar Bob yourself. <laughs> but according to the team, um, they said this has been happening like all year. Um, this is, they said they've had at least six violations from him this season. So, he's been cutting up, man. And it's sad to see because I remember his first year in Miami, he was, he was going big. I remember him scoring. He hit that big game winner against uh, the Warriors a few years back. So, he can play, man. He just, he just got to get, got to get right. And uh, according to the team, <laughs> they said that, uh, when he called in sick, he said he was too sick to practice or play. So Dion wasn't trying to do shit, but get on that yacht 
and chill with the thotties. So <laughs> shout out to Dion Waiters, man. Hopefully he can get his shit together because he can hoop whenever, uh, you know, he's on the court and not having uh, panic attacks from edibles. So uh, in college basketball, uh, North Carolina guard and potential top five pick in next year's NBA draft, Cole Anthony has been ruled out indefinitely with a right knee injury, which is that's a devastating blow. I'm a big Cole Anthony fan, too. Uh, the injury is actually like the third one in this past week from top guards heading into next year's draft. So LaMelo Ball just recently got hurt. He's been doing this thing, um, you know, with the Illawarra Hawks overseas. R.J. Hampton with the New Zealand Breakers, he just went down too. And now Cole Anthony. All three of those guys are like the top three guards in next year's draft. So none of them are, are like major to where I think they're going to miss like months or anything like that. But at the same time, you – I mean, they've really kind of built up their resume, LaMelo Ball and Cole Anthony at least, but you want to see people stay healthy just so they can continue to work on their game before uh, entering the league. And then uh, Cole, he, he's like I said, he's doing good in his freshman year. He's averaging 19 points, six rebounds, and uh, nearly four assists through nine games. And to give you an idea how valuable he is to North Carolina, he missed their last game. Um, and you would think they'll get that win. You know, they're ranked number 17, but they didn't. <laughs> they lost to Wofford. $2 million to anybody listening who can tell me where Wofford is without looking at their phone. <laughs> and if you did guess it, so the fuck what? I don't have $2 million, so <laughs> live with it. But, um, yeah, man, they lost to Wofford at, at home. So that just kind of tells you how valuable he is to that team and just how talented of a player he is and how much of a difference he makes. So moving on to some high school hoops, I got another difference maker that I'm about to talk about right now. So uh, in San Diego, Freshman guard uh, at Ysidro High, Mikey Williams, scored 77 points. You did not hear me wrong. He scored 77 points this past Friday in a 116-52 win over Kearney High. And in that performance, he set a new CIF San Diego section record, which hadn't been broken since 2006. So that's crazy for any player to score 77, but a freshman in high school is nuts. Uh, He's averaging 35 points, too, through nine games. So Continue to see more big games from him. Uh, he got bounced. I always see his highlights on um, Baller's Life on Instagram. They always post his kids. So he's going to be special, man. And to to see him in his freshman year already putting up games like this and he hasn't even played 10 games, it's going to be uh, it's gonna be scary for high school basketball for years to come. He might not do all four years. You'll probably see him go overseas or something because the level of competition. And I hope he goes to a better high school to where the level of competition heightens because I hate when kids just dominate kids who aren't up to their level of competition. And then when they get to the next level, it's kind of like a a shock. So he's a freshman. We already know he's too good to be playing against the guys he's playing now. Go to a different school. Go to one of them prep schools and, you know what I mean, show them what you can do against some real talent. And then uh, in college hoops, uh, NAIA college hoops to be exact, Timberwolves uh, rookie Jared Culver ain't the only one that can hoop uh, in his family. His brother, J.J., dropped 100 points last week. Uh, at Way- He plays for Wayland Baptist, and they knocked off uh, Southwest Adventist University 124-60. to 60. And just like I said with Mikey Williams, you did not hear that incorrectly. He scored 100 points in one game. I said at the top of this episode that defense is a lost art, and <laughs> this is like a prime example of what I'm referring to. Uh, I don't know what's worse, though, the fact that the rest of his team only managed to score 24 points because they had 124 total. Or the fact that he outscored the opposing team by himself by 40 points. He had 100. They only had 60. So (laughs) 
Yeah, you you pick your poison with that one. But this season he's leading the NAI in scoring, and he averages twenty eight points per game. So um, who knows, man? Maybe he'll make his way to the NBA too. I know it'd be pretty tough considering uh, he's playing in the NAIA. But you know, if his brother becomes a really good NBA player for the Timberwolves, which I, I think he'll be pretty solid going forward, might be able to get a summer league look. So uh, keep an eye out on JJ. He's, anybody who can score a hundred points, I think is is tough, but let alone in college, any level of college, you can score 100 points. That's astonishing. So uh, congratulations to him. <laughs> and then uh, high school basketball, this one was special. This was probably like, in my opinion, the thing that that was like the most, I guess I wouldn't say heartfelt. Well, yeah, it was heartfelt too, but it was like the most entertaining basketball moment for me um, this entire weekend. So LeBron James' son, uh, Bronny, he, man, every time I see him, he just seems like he's getting better and better. But on Saturday, he helped lead Sierra Canyon to a narrow 59-56 victory over his dad's alma mater, St. Vincent St. Mary's, in Columbus, Ohio. The arena was packed, and the crowd was rocking. Um, just looking at the highlights, I wish I could have watched that that full game, but just looking at the highlights, man, that shit looked like a, a college game. Like, it was lit. And for him to be a freshman and to perform the way he did on a stage that big, it has to run in the family, but LeBron was in attendance. This is the first time actually watching Bronny play in high school. Uh, Savannah was in attendance. Uh, LeBron actually had the whole starting five from when he was in high school because they went to St. Vincent St. Mary's, and that's who uh, his son was playing against. So pretty cool moment, man, to see it all come full circle because I watched that movie. Um, what is that movie called that LeBron had? Uh, More Than a Game, and it kind of shows his journey from like AAU to high school to being like the most coveted recruit in high school history, damn near. I think LeBron will. I think it's safe to say that LeBron is the most highly coveted prospect to ever come out of high school. So, you know, with that being the case and and seeing his journey, and then now his son has an opportunity to write his own story, but a lot of times you just kind of expect him to ride his dad's coattail. But he dropped 15 points in his game off the bench, and he earned MVP honors. He had the second most points in the game, uh, his teammate B.J. Boston had 16. But like I said, he's a freshman, so you don't expect him to to play this good in a a setting like that, you know, because they're on the road. They're in Ohio, and, you know, it was, just, it was just good to see. And late in the game, he actually stole an inbound pass. It was in the final minute, and he drove to the rack, made a tough layup, and that actually turned out to be the go-ahead bucket or the game winner, shall I say. So shout-out to Ronnie, man. I'm going to be watching him. All four years, I'm excited to see him, you know, progressing his game. He can shoot the rock. He got a good feel for the game. He can pass. He's a solid point guard, and he's only going to grow because, shit, LeBron is a, a freak of nature. So it would be crazy to think that his son is only going to be like 5'11". So it can happen, but I, I doubt it. <laughs> so let's go ahead and get into these topics, man. So in quarter one, we got some teams to discuss. We're going to do the NBA power rankings again. So I did it a few weeks ago. I'm going to bring it back. Uh, a lot has changed since then, so we'll touch touch base and see what the teams is looking like now. Uh, in quarter two, we're going to talk about, you know, just the, the guys who you can't hold them, man. You, you have no answer for them. We're going to talk about the most unstoppable NBA players in the league, and we're going to find out who the number one guy is. And for the halftime segment, we're actually going to revisit another, another list that we kind of um, talked about a few weeks ago. We're going to look at the first-year players, so we're going to do the second edition of our rookie rankings and see how those, you know, standings shook up because a lot a lot of people have tailed off, and that's usually what rookies do. 
you you know what I mean, percentages tend to go down, that rookie wall starts to happen. So we're going to talk about some of the rookies and see who's playing better, who's playing worse. And then after halftime, we're going to move to the third quarter, and we're going to talk about the second units, the bench mobs, the best benches in the league, man. And I get excited about bench players because the ones that come in with energy, they can really control the tempo of the game. So we're going to talk about those guys. And then in the final quarter, before we get out of here, we are going to talk about the players who are most likely to be traded this season, especially with the um, NBA trade season technically beginning yesterday. We're, uh, we're going to get into some guys who might be on the move, and I'll explain a little bit more uh, you know, as we get into that topic. So sit back, relax, man. Enjoy. We got a lot to cover. It's going to be a lot of fun, so let's get right into it. So we are about like a third into the season now. We got two-thirds of the season left to go. And at this point, you can kind of start seeing, you know, what teams are going to be going forward. You can kind of see, you know, if a team has a, a certain deficiency that they need to address. At this point in the time, if they're still struggling, it's probably, you know, legitimate. Um, you know, a lot of times people start the season off a little shaky, may not shoot the ball as well as they shot it last year just to start. But, you know, if you still turn the ball over, if you're still shooting poorly, if you're still playing bad at this point of the season, it's probably going to last for the rest of the season. And then vice versa. You know, if you're hooping, right now it's good because now you're starting to get your chemistry. You're starting to get into a flow. And, of course, you, you want to you be playing your best going into the playoffs. So that's when you want to peak. So you don't want to peak too soon, but at the same time, it never hurts to, to continue racking up the wins and building chemistry as you go along the way. So right now we're going to look at the top ten teams in the league. Um, I kind of did my own power rankings based off, you know, just a couple of different factors, uh, you know, just the eye test, the stats, you know, how they're playing together, um, some of the tough wins. So just like last time, we'll get into it. And um, I'm going to start from top to bottom, just like we typically do. So the 10th team right now in the league, in my opinion, I'm, I'm going I'm to put the Toronto Raptors in that slot right now. They are fifth in the East at 17 and eight. They've been struggling lately, though. Um, they've lost four of their last six. So they they started off pretty hot. They surprised a lot of people, especially because Kawhi left. So, of course, they're going to have that chip on their shoulder. Unfortunately for them, they play in the East. And they've had a lot of guys step up. Like Fred Van Vliet has been having an amazing season. He did a really good job in a starting role once Kyle Lowry went down. He held it down for them. Norman Powell has stepped it up big. OG Ananobi is, is you know, shooting the ball the best that he has since he's been in the league. So, and, oh, and then Pascal, of course, can't forget about him. He's, he's going to be an all-star this year. So a lot of guys are, are taking the challenge and showing that, you know, Kawhi being gone is not going to, you know, stop them from, from still being one of the best teams in the East. So um, I think the reason why they're struggling right now too is now Kyle Lowry is back, but Fred Van Vliet is out. Fred Van Vliet is one of their best perimeter defenders, one of their best shooters, uh, really good at penetrating and, and kicking out. So without him, of course, that that definitely affects things on both ends of the floor. But they still have a pretty solid team, so I know they'll be able to turn it around. But I think with their struggles as of late, that has a large part to do with it, with Van Vliet, like I said, being out. And then uh, prior to that, they had won seven straight. So I think they're going to be a good team. I personally don't see them making it out of the East, but I definitely think throughout the whole season, they're going to be a challenging club to, to uh, match up with. So moving on to number the ninth-ranked squad, I got the Houston Rockets. They are also uh, fifth, but in the West, of course. They're 17-9 and nine right now. I haven't been high on them the entire season, but 
the reason why I constantly have to keep them in the top 10 is because there is no other team with the firepower of Houston. And it's always the case. It's not just the firepower, but it's the tempo that they play, the amount of attempts they get up. It's a D'Antoni system, so you know they're going to get the shots up. That's, that's always going to happen. They, they're going to allow 150 points, but they'll score 200. <laughs> so James Harden, though, he is playing out of his fucking mind right now. He, he scored 50 points in two of his last three games, um, and then the last one I think he had like 39. So James Harden has been going crazy. He's averaging 39 on the season, and his percentages are actually pretty good. Like, he's shooting 45% from the field, 36% from the three-point line, uh, 88% from the uh, 88% from the free throw line, 36% from the three-point line. So he, he's doing his thing. He's Every year, I'm, I think, like, he can't hold this up. It's not sustainable. They can't just continue to just give him the ball, and he score every single point or create for others. But it tends to work, and he's a dominant player because – Guys like Luka, guys like him, guys like LeBron, they're, they're generational talents. So when you have somebody like that and then you pair him with a Russell Westbrook, they're always going to have a shot to win any game just because of the firepower. So got to have them in the top 10 for that. They're second in scoring right now. They average 120 points per game, and they are first in three-pointers made per game. at uh, They knock down 16 a night. So the only thing that kind of holds them back, in my opinion, of their 17 wins, only four of them are against teams with winning records. So that's something that, you know, when you look at the record, that's one thing. And, yeah, it can be good. But you got to take a look at things like that. So they don't really have too many convincing victories. So they've been they've been getting by easy so far. But we'll see how talented they really are once they, you know, get into the, the thick of their schedule. So moving on to number eight. We got my squad, the Denver Nuggets. They are currently 17 and 8, and they are right above the Houston Rockets at fourth in the Western Conference. And they have been struggling lately. We have lost five of our last nine. And I, I like, I think I, it's like when I watch the games, Nikola Jokic is just, he's not the same player that he was last year. And I think it was him coming into the season out of shape, of course, but. It just seems like he's coasting right now. It doesn't seem like the same hunger that he had last year. And that's for the majority of the team. Like, the only player I really see that consistently plays hard every night when I watch is uh, Will Barton. Will Barton is, is always on 10 whenever I watch him. He'll rebound the ball. He's going to hit clutch shots, go to the basket, uh, defend at a high level. So we all need to play with that Will Barton intensity because he definitely uh, he needs some help on, on our team because, we, like I said, we've been struggling. But Nikola Jokic, he, he's had a couple of good games as of late. So hopefully he's starting to turn the corner. And he might be one of those guys that just kind of gets in shape during the season, kind of like a Shaq. I hate that. But, I mean, hey, if it works around playoff time, I'm cool with it. <laughs> but right now, man, we, we're struggling. Like We got too many scores to be scoring as low as we do. We're ranked 23rd in the league right now. We only score 106 points per game. So we're a lot better than that. But on the flip side – we are the best defensive team. We're only allowing 101 points per game. So that does help out in that aspect, but definitely would still like to see us put more points on the board. Um, so I think once Jamal Murray starts to find his shot, he gets in his groove. Nikola Jokic is, you know, playing at that MVP level he showed last year. Malik Beasley and, you know, the bench mob come in and start making some shots like they're capable of. I think we can turn it around. But right now I got to keep us at eight until we show we can do a little bit better. Um, for number seven, I got the Boston Celtics. Uh, similar record as the Nuggets. Uh, they're 17 and seven, and they are fourth in the East. 
They are coming off back-to-back losses, but prior to that, they had won four straight. So Boston is one of those teams. They're, they're going to be in the playoffs. I don't know how far they'll go. I think they are going to go as far as Jason Tatum will take them. I think Kimball Walker is probably, you know, the guy who, who is going to get the most attempts. He'll man Jason, of course. But with Jalen Brown, with Gordon Hayward, with Jason Tatum and Kimball, they got a lot of mouths to feed, but they're, they're making it work right now. And I think that once they have that lineup completely healthy and fully gelling with Marcus Smart playing that defense that he plays, um, with Enos Cancer, you know, getting into the rotation, scoring the ball, he got to defend somebody, though. He, <laughs> he's been allergic to defense since he came out of Kentucky. But, you know, once they, once they all figure it out and start clicking at the same time, I think they'll be a dangerous team. They got a lot of upside, but they're tied with Philly right now for third and points allowed per game. So they, they one of the better defensive teams in the league. They only uh, allow 104 points per game. So that's behind us, Denver, and uh, the Los Angeles Lakers. So they are uh, second in the league, too, in turnovers per game. So they, they're really, really careful with the Rock. Uh, you definitely see that a lot with good coach teams. And Brad Stevens, in my opinion, is one of the better coaches in the league. So they don't turn the rock over that much. And you can kind of it's a it's a veteran team. It's a veteran ball club. So you 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 expect them to be in the fight towards the end of the season, but they gotta they gotta pick it up because right now to be 17 and 7 in the East State, they need to have a better record. So keep an eye out on them. That's one of the teams though that I think could actually make some noise in the East. Them, uh Philly and Milwaukee, of course. So moving on to number six, I got the Dallas Mavericks. They are currently third in the West. Uh, prior to their last loss, they had won 11 of their last 13. And their last loss really only happened because Luka Doncic went down. I think they would have won that game too. So, I mean, if you play 13 games and won 11, you're doing something right. <laughs> Once again, good coach team, uh, Rick Carlisle, they are first in the league in turnovers per game. They only turn the ball over uh, 12 times. So, Really, really careful with the Rock. Luka Doncic plays like he's been in the league for eight-plus years, always seems to make the right decision, and always seems to hit the dagger when it's needed most. And they are also fifth in the league in bench scoring. They average 44 points per game off the bench. So a lot of contributors, not just Luka, but he definitely does a good job of setting up, you know, Seth Curry coming off the bench, uh, Justin Jackson, all those guys that come in and hit big shots. They they come in ready and they know their role and that team is very very well constructed I'll say, so moving on to number five uh, and let me say this too, if Luka Doncic comes back and he's able to keep the Dallas Mavericks as a top three team he's my MVP, if if Luka can keep the Dallas Mavericks shit I'll even say top five, and he continues to put up numbers like this bro is averaging like a triple double and thirty points so. You got to respect that. I don't care if it's only his second year. He he, like a seasoned veteran right now. <laughs> so we only got five more teams left. Uh, we'll run through these because um, I'm running out of time for this uh, quarter. But uh, at number five, I got the Philadelphia 76ers. Right now they are third in the East, and they are 20 and 8. So this was a team originally before the year I picked to make it out of the East. Of course, they had the big offseason signings of um, Al Horford, uh, J- Josh Richardson, and then they re-signed Tobias Harris. So they got some firepower, but their bench scoring, or I'll say their, their three-point shooting needs needs uh, a lot of help. Right now, they're ranked 22nd in three-pointers made per game. They make just under 11. But they're tied with Boston at number three in the league for points allowed. They only allow 104 points per game. So really solid defensive unit. You got Ben Simmons playing point, 6'10". 
You got Joel Embiid inside. Al Horford is a plus defender. So that's expected. But like I said, they, they got to be better on the perimeter. They need to make a move for a shooter. You can really see the, the difference a J.J. Redick makes a year ago. You know, just being able to, to knock down big shots when teams put two guys or, you know, three guys even on Joel Embiid. You need somebody who can step out and knock that shot down. Ben Simmons has made two this year. That shit ain't going to cut it. <laughs> we need more production than that. But um, they've been hot as of late. They, they've won nine of their last 11. They're on a three-game, what is this, a, a three-game stretch. And the teams that they've beat in a row, Toronto, Denver, and Boston. So, oh, no, no, no. They've won nine of their last 11. And within that nine games, they had a three-game stretch where they beat Toronto, Denver, and Boston. So three tough teams, you know what I mean, to, to, to take down. And especially when you're on a streak, teams like that want to end it. They don't want you to keep continuing it on them. So quality wins, I think they'll continue to be good for the rest of the season. But they need more out of Embiid, man. He's got to be dominant. Uh, I think it was Shaq who called him out recently saying, do you want to be good or you want to be great? And I think Embiid responds well to challenges, so we'll see how he reacts. But he, like I said, he just missed last game with a upper respiratory infection. So once he comes back, we'll see what the big fella can do. So the top four, final four. At number four, this is one of my favorite teams in the league this season, uh, the Miami Heat. I'm not a, a Heat fan, but they're just a joy to watch, especially because at the start of the season, you're like, they're not going to be shit. <laughs> I didn't expect much from them. It was Jimmy Butler and a bunch of young guys and undrafted free agents and all kind of shit. I didn't think that was going to work. But they're second in the East at 19-7, and seven, and they have won seven of their last nine games. Get this, though. The only two losses that they have in that nine is to Boston and the Lakers. So you, you can't argue with that, man. Those are good losses. And right now they have seven guys averaging double digits, which is crazy to me. But it's cool to see. Like I said, they play really tough. They play gritty defense. You got a lot of guys who are capable of hitting shots, um, you know, if, if necessary down the stretch. So I love, I love the way Jimmy Butler is playing right now, recording triple doubles, really showing that leadership that a lot of people question with him because it seemed like wherever he would go, problems followed. But right now he's on a team where he doesn't have another established superstar. So he's the only guy and everybody accepts their role. And he's showing that if you put me in the driver's seat, you know what I mean? I could lead y'all to victory. He said, uh, <laughs> he always said his shit. Y'all act like I don't know how to play basketball. He can hoop. So um, Miami Heat, they're, they're doing big things. I don't know if it's sustainable for the whole year, but I don't see why it wouldn't be. And they're uh, also fourth in free throw attempts per game. They average 26 free throws a game. So they can control the tempo, play defense, and if they need a shot, they can get to the, to the rim and, you know, get to that charity strike, which is big. So now to the final three teams. I got the Los Angeles Clippers at number three. And this is my actual championship favorite. Right now, they don't look bad, but they don't look like the best team in the league. They do have four guys averaging over 19, though, which is outrageous to me. But you kind of expected Kawhi and Paul George too, but I thought Lou Williams and Montrez would take a step back. But no, they're still scoring the ball at an efficient clip. And the cool thing is... Well, it's not cool, but Kawhi Leonard sits out a lot of games, so they have the opportunity to kind of, like, get their shots and get into their flow. But I, I want to see them as a full, full, healthy unit and see how they play together with multiple games. So come around playoff time, you know, they'll already know how to play with each other. When I have seen them play, they do look like a dominant team. Just like the other night, Paul George had 40 and Kawhi had 40. That's the kind of games I want to see. Y'all go in there 
you know, handle business, lay the smack down, and you can sit out the next game, Kawhi. <laughs> I actually just acquired him on my fantasy team, too. I know y'all probably think I got – my team is called NBA Thanos for a reason. I got everybody. <laughs> I got Trey Young, uh, Andre Drummond. Who else I got? Cat, uh, Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins. The list goes on, man. I got a squad. And next week, I'm going to have a special guest in here. We're going to talk a little bit about that, too. <laughs> but um, moving on, man, I got two more teams left. And if you know basketball, you know who these two teams are. You just don't know the order yet. But you will after I reveal who number two is. And I'm talking about the Milwaukee Bucks. Right now, they are 24-3. and three. They are first place in the East right now. They are on an 18-game winning streak. Crazy, though, that I don't have them ranked number one, although they're on an 18-game winning streak. But at the same time, only three of those 18 wins are against teams with winning records. So I've been breaking all of this down. I'm, I don't just take the record. I don't just take the streaks. I got to get into it. You know what I mean? What, how, how real is this streak? How many teams are y'all beating that are really solid? So once that, that – because right now, like I said, they just lost Eric Bledsoe too. So we'll see how that affects them. They did pretty good without Chris Middleton. They, sh- they held down the fort. So I, I think they'll be solid still. They got a lot of depth, but they're, they're just a really, really, really good team. They're number one in field goal percentage. Uh, they shoot damn near 50%. They're number one in points per game. They average 121 points. They're number one in rebounds. Like, whatever you, you need as a team to be successful, they're doing it. So Giannis uh, is always going to be in the MVP discussion, him and James Harden, the way they lead their teams. But Giannis has been doing a good job in – you know, just racking up wins on the East because, you know, when it comes time to fight for that one seed in the playoff, you know, when it comes down to the finals, it's definitely going to help. So good job for, for the Milwaukee Bucks. But I can't put them at number one, man, because the number one team is clowning. And when I say clowning, like they doing bullshit. They playing around. They joking. LeBron going to high school games <laughs> and then going, going to drop 30 the next. Like LeBron is doing his thing. He's leading this team. And I'm talking about the Los Angeles Lakers, man. They're first in the West. They're 24-3. and three. Uh, They're on a seven-game win streak, and they have won 17 of their last 18. And the only three losses they have on the season are to the Clippers, the Raptors, and the Mavericks. So they, they're certified. You know what I mean? They, I don't want to say they're peaking right now because I still do think there's another level that they can go to. But I don't even think they've figured it out yet. Like, I don't think this is how they're going to play in the playoffs, which is even scarier because they might not be done adding to their team. And, you know what I mean? We might not even be seeing the full potential of the squad. I was watching a, a highlight today where uh, against the Hawks, Rajon Rondo going to the cup, he faked the lob to LeBron and does the layup. And LeBron is acting like he's trying to block the shot. Like they bullshit and they playing around in games. <laughs> they on the sideline acting the ass. Like it, it's cool to see, man. Showtime is definitely back in L.A., and I cannot wait for that Christmas matchup between the Lakers and the Clippers, man. It's going to be a, a really, really, really big test for both teams. But the only thing that I think the Lakers need to improve on is their free throw percentage. Right now, they're the fourth lowest in the league. They only shoot at about 73%. But if you're blowing everybody the fuck out, it don't even matter. <laughs> and then uh, their first in blocks was seven a game. And when you watch them, you can tell. When Dwight come off the, the bench, he patrolling the paint. JaVale is patrolling the paint. LeBron to catch you slipping. AD is one of the best defenders in the league. So you... You, you're not going to get nothing past them. And that's if you get past the perimeter defenders of Danny Green and Avery Bradley and all the other guys. They got scrappy defenders inside and out, man. So this team has it all. I, I think they're going to be really scary. I don't know, man. They're making me second guess my pick. <laughs> the Clippers winning the championship. But 
we'll see when the playoffs, you know what I mean, when the game slows down, if they can get it in the half-court offense. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. But let's go ahead and transition into quarter number two. And we talked about the most unstoppable teams, but let's find out who the most unstoppable players are. So let's get into it. So growing up, I used to always watch the Lakers because my stepdad was like a huge, huge, huge Laker fan. I remember watching them when, you know, Kobe was wearing number eight and Shaq was on the team and he was just dominating. And, you know, as I got older, I started hearing, you know, that Shaq is the most dominant player of all time. And I I used to always get confused. I'm like, well, I thought Jordan is the best player of all time, but it's a difference. The most dominant player is somebody that is unstoppable, somebody that you have no answer for, just like the best player. Don't get me wrong. But I think when I'm talking about the player who is the most unstoppable, I'm talking about maybe a move that works every time and they're not changing it up. (laughs) Like Michael Jordan is, is, considered the best of all time. LeBron James in that conversation. What those guys do, if you if you cut off the move that they like to do, they're so good that they can just do something else to still beat you. You know, if he's shooting the three ball, y'all try to run out to the three-point line, he's going to find an open man. If you, you know what I mean, over, over help, he'll drive to the rack, finish over you. Like, that's what great players do. And everybody on this list is talented enough to, to be in a conversation for one of the best players in the league. But right now, I'm just going to talk about the most unstoppable guys. And really what this comes down to is people who, no matter what you do, you know what I mean? No matter what you bring at them, there's no answer for it. So I want to give a disclaimer because right now, I'm only talking about players who are playing this year. So with respect to KD, he's out this year. But definitely, if he was still playing, he would be one of the guys on this list. And then um, another guy that I want to mention who is, of course, a dominant player, but I don't have him in my top five in terms of most unstoppable players, but I might have him in my top five in terms of just best players in general, is Anthony Davis. I don't feel like Anthony Davis has any go-to move that is just unstoppable, but he can get a bucket. He can shoot the mid-range. He can go to the rack. He's a pick-and-roll finisher. So that's kind of an example of what I mean. Damian Lillard can get you a bucket. Amazing. Can shoot it from deep and... You know, a lot of teams have no answer for him, but I don't think he's one of the most unstoppable players. So I'm going to start with number five, and maybe you guys will get the idea of what I'm talking about. So at five, I got Kawhi Leonard, the claw. And the reason I'm saying this is because he gets it done on both ends of the floor. So not only is he busting your ass on the offensive end, but he locking you up on the defensive end too. So it's just a frustrating night for anybody matched up <laughs> with the claw. Uh, this year, he's averaging 26 points, eight rebounds, five assists. He's actually adding, you know, a little bit more playmaking to his game. He's only averages two assists for his career. So good to see him kind of, you know, putting it together and expanding his game, especially being a superstar player now. But he's worked his way up. He wasn't a superstar at first. He only averages 18 for his career, but that's because his first few years he was a role player. So Kawhi Leonard, every every unstoppable player has a go-to move. And the go-to move is pretty much the unstoppable move. (laughs) So with Kawhi Leonard, just watching his game, Whenever I see him, the move that he does that nobody can stop is his mid-range pull-up. That, that mid-range pull-up, if he gets to his spot and he gets it off clean, it's going down. I don't care if you got 20 hands in his face. It's going to go down. It's like muscle memory for him. So I got him at number five this year just because he's obviously in a conversation for best player in the league. I will say, me personally, I think it's either him or LeBron right now. But at the same time, 
I only got him at five in my most unstoppable players. So kind of get the idea where I'm going with this now. So at number four, I got Luka Doncic. And the reason why I got him so high is because he does every fucking thing. So I just talked about Kawhi, you know, getting a little bit more playmaking to his game. He's averaging five assists. Well, Luka's averaging nine, still grabbing 10 rebounds and scoring 30 points a night. Uh, The reason why I got Luka as one of the most dominant players is because he's literally on a team with, okay, Kristaps Porzingis is is an all-star player. Don't get me wrong, but he's coming back from injury, and I don't think Porzingis is dominant by any means. He's he's a seven-foot-two power forward that, that doesn't want to rebound the ball. He just wants to shoot. So Luka is really forced to kind of orchestrate everything on that offense. They know what's coming, but yet they can't stop it. And his go-to move, which has been deadly since coming into the league, is that uh, step-back three. And he seems to always hit it at the perfect time, <laughs> like every time. And it's, it's usually clutch, and when he needs it, he goes right to it. He has a lot of tricks in his bag. He's really, really, really crafty. A lot of those European players are. Um, you know, they're, the athleticism isn't there. So his mind is, is sharp, and for him to be – not even 21 years old, and to be averaging a triple-double with 30 points damn near is out of this world. So he's dominant. Nobody has an answer for him, and I don't expect anybody to find an answer for him in the near future. (laughs) So moving on to number three, this is when we're starting to get into the thick of things. So we already got two down. We only got three more left. So um, I'll give you guys another player who's not on this list, Kyrie Irving. (laughs) And Kyrie is is a baller, don't get me wrong, but Kyrie is... I will say among point guards, he's one of the most dominant point guards. But in terms of just players in the league, man, it's unfortunate that a lot of the guys that I have on this list just got a lot of size. And you can't you can't teach that, you know. So you got Luka Doncic at 6'8", you got or 6'7". You got Kawhi at 6'7". And the guy that I'm naming at number three is 6'8". We're talking about King James, baby. LBJ, he is averaging 26 points, a career-high 11 assists. Can you believe that? Dude, I have to refer to this. G Diamond, when he featured on this episode before the season started, he said LeBron will average double digits assists this year. And I said, we'll see. I didn't, I didn't think he would. I thought LeBron is still hovering around eight or nine, but I think he'll be able to pull it off this year. He's really embracing that role as their lead point guard, and he's doing a terrific job at it. Um, he's still grabbing seven rebounds on the strength of being six foot eight and being a freak athlete. So um, shout out to LeBron, I mean, uh, G Diamond for calling that out because he he's, he's looks magnificent out there. Uh, with LeBron, I don't feel like he has one specific go-to move. I know that mid-range fadeaway, I've seen it go down in a lot of big games. Uh, nobody really has an answer for that. But LeBron, I mean, you can make the case that his go-to move is, shit, the spin layup. When he goes to the rack and he puts that body on the defender and they can't, <laughs> I mean, they can't get around him. And then he goes to the cup, he could either finish it with a dunk, he can finish it with a layup. Um, shit, LeBron just, that tomahawk dunk that he does LeBron's posterizers are like game changers because it's like now he's older. He has that athleticism, but he don't really pull it out like that. So whenever he does, it's kind of like, oh, shit. It, it lets people know, like, okay, he, he playing today. Like, he, he letting us know he's not with the bullshit today. So when he, I remember when he dunked on a Bielitsa this year for the Kings, it just looked so miserable. Like, <laughs> Nemanja, move, bro. Like, <laughs> you're not going to stop him. So why just be a, a, a subject of a poster? So I, I think with LeBron, he's just so great that he has a couple go-to moves. Uh, passing, you could even say, is one of them because he's going to put it right there for the shooter in a, a big shot. You know what I mean? He's trusting his teammates. So 
I have him on here just because he's been dominant his entire career. I don't think he has one specific move, but also that's what makes you number three because he has multiple moves he can go to. So now we're only down to two more players, man, and it's one guy that I haven't named. Uh, and to be honest, I think a lot of people will say he's number one, but I got him at number two. I'm talking about the Greek freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Now, he's been compared as like the modern-day Shaq. And that's because he get all his money inside. He just dunking on everybody. He Euro-stepping from the three-point line and shit. <laughs> like, nobody can stop the Greek freak. Giannis Antetokounmpo is an absolute beast. Uh, pouring in 31 points per game this, this year, averaging 13 rebounds, and still managing to dish out five assists per game. He is the, the engine that drives that Milwaukee Bucks train. And I don't see it slowing down anytime soon with him at the helm. He just continues to get better and better every year. It's like when he comes back, He's doing more things that he wasn't even doing the year before. He's scary good. Um, his go-to move for me is a dunk, any kind of dunk, reverse dunk, spin dunk. That, that spin move dunk that he does is probably his number one because that was the, the move he kept trying to do against Kawhi in the playoffs, and it just was not happening. <laughs> Claw wasn't having that shit. But um, if, he, if he puts the ball on the floor and, you know, you don't crowd his space and you allow him to get to where he wants, he's so athletic, so strong, and so quick that he's going to finish over the top of you before you even realize it. You know, he covers so much ground. He is really efficient in his movement. And, you know, just in terms of being unstoppable, if you turn on the TV and you watch five minutes of Giannis, you'll see that he's easily the best player on the floor on most nights. Shit, damn near every night. And the reason for that is just because nobody can – you can't put a big man on him. He's too fast. You can't put a small on him because he's too big. He's like the ultimate – mismatch, you know, and, and nobody has an answer for it. So I think with Giannis Antetokounmpo, I, for the most part, before doing this topic, I thought he would be number one. And it's, it's just like off a, of, off a, of, just off top of my head, you know, if somebody asked me the question, I probably would initially think Giannis, but the guy at number one is averaging 40 points. <laughs> I can't say nothing about that. The guy at number one is averaging 40. I am talking about the beard, James Harden, man. Now, you know, I mean, all forgiveness to the Greek freak, but, dude, with him being able to, to, to average 39 points but still shoot the ball efficiently and still dish out eight assists, he is the entire offense for the Houston Rockets. Like, it makes no sense. I don't know how he does it, and I know they shoot a lot of, a, a lot of shots and he gets a lot of possessions, but he's making the most of them. Like, he is – nobody can stop that step back three. We, we know what James Harden's uh, go-to move is. I don't think – if you watch James Harden for, like I said, two to three minutes, you'll see that go-to move. Um, when going to the cup, he can do the Euro. You know what I mean? He got floaters that he can go to. He can finish uh, with authority if need be. And another underrated – well, not underrated because a lot of people hate it, but drawing fouls is a, is a talent, and he is the best at it. So not only can he hit that step back three to demoralize you and make you feel stupid, especially after he knocked down his 10-3, which he's done like twice in the past three games, but not only can he do that, but if the shot isn't falling, he can go to the rim. You know, he can slow the game down, see the ball going to the basket by knocking down the free throws because he takes advantage of the charity stripes. So anybody averaging 39 points and, you know, for a good – because right now, like I said, we're in a third, we're a third into the season, and he's still doing this. So it's not a fluke at this point. Worst case scenario, he'll probably finish the year averaging 35, and I don't see him slowing down anytime soon. I think it's just going to keep going. 
Uh, Russell Westbrook is definitely deferred and, and taking the back seat to him. So that, that's good to see. I just want to see him do it in the playoffs. And that's the only reason why I kind of struggled to put him at number one. But I'm like, I can't not put him at number one. He's averaging 40 points. That's the definition of being unstoppable. I don't think he's the best player because there's, you know what I mean? There's guys that impact the game like LeBron James. If you put LeBron James and James Harden on the floor, you'll see that James Harden is just going to be a headache for the opposing team. But at the end of the day, LeBron James is going to make more plays that influence winning. So I think he's a better player, but I think James Harden is more unstoppable. So just in terms of an individual force and what he can do on the floor, if he, if soon as James Harden steps on the floor, he is a threat. And I mean a threat in terms of finding the open man, shooting the ball, getting the foul, getting the and one. It's just, it's nothing he can't do offensively. And he is probably, man, he, he might be the best scorer in my era. Might be top five ever. It's just hard to say because he, he, he plays in D'Antoni's system and the game is a lot different. It's more up-tempo. So of course the stats are going to be a little bit inflated. But I do think James Harden has proven, even with OKC coming off the bench, he averaged damn near 20. Like, he's proven that he can do it in limited minutes. He's proven that he can do it in a lead role. You know what I mean? He, it's nothing that he hasn't shown us already. So I think it's safe to say that James Harden is probably the best scorer in our area. I, I don't think he has the best bag of tricks. I think KD in my era, or maybe Kobe Bryant, is the best in terms of just having moves to score the ball. And if you needed a bucket, that's who you'll go to. But just in terms of like statistical output and being able to score the ball, there's no comparison with James Harden. So let's go ahead and move on to the halftime segment. We're going to talk about the rooks. But right before we talk about the rookies, I got to give you all the sound of the week. Um, and this sound actually came from the Spurs uh, game against the Suns in Mexico City this past weekend. It came down to a game winner uh, by Patty Mills right after. It was actually a pretty good game because DeMar DeRozan prior to this hit a tough layup, man. And that tied the game. And then he got the and one. So he could have made the free throw to win the game, but he misses it. Luckily, the ball went out of bounds and the Spurs got possession. And the sound you're about to hear is the ending of that game. So right after this, we'll go ahead and transition right into the halftime segment. So take a listen to this. All right. End of OT. White to inbound. again a terrifically designed play you give that coaching staff a little bit of time to figure things out and forget about it my oh my <laughs> things have definitely changed for the first year players since the last time we did this man we it is a lot a lot of movement that i did in this new ranking from when i looked at the last one i'm like damn it's really crazy to see how inconsistent rookies are. I love them. You know what I mean? I love seeing the young players and how they progress, but it's like, damn, they really do go through their, their learning curve, and you can see it throughout the season. So as I've been saying throughout this entire episode, you know, we have about two-thirds of the season left to go. So what a lot of these rookies are experiencing right now is called the rookie wall. If you're not familiar with the rookie wall, what that is is so most college players come into the league, you know what I mean, the college game, in a season, you'll play anywhere from 30, 35, 30, 35 games, depending on how far you go in the tournament or the postseason. So now you go to the NBA and the regular season is 82 games. 
So now we're we're about what 28, 30 games into the season. You're starting to see a lot of rookies, you know, look like they're worn down, but it's because they've been going through the rigors of traveling, you know what I mean? They battling and practice against the veterans, battling in the league against, you know, the best of the best. And you start to see it taking a toll on these guys. So you'll notice in a lot of these rankings, it's been a big shift in movement. And um, I'll start with number 10. So the 10th guy that I have on here is uh, Kobe White. Now, last time we did this, I had Kobe Kobe White ranked number six. He was averaging 14, four, and three. Well, now Kobe White has uh, tailed off a little bit, not too much, but his efficiency has suffered. And that's what caused him to drop a lot on my rankings. Um, Right now, he's averaging 11 points. Uh, still under four rebounds and about two assists, but he's shooting 35% from the field and 32% from the three-point line. So with Kobe White, I always knew that would be his biggest struggle, his efficiency, because he's just a gunner. And with gunners, you know, they're going to have nights where it just isn't falling, but they're just going to continue to shoot until it does fall. And for a rookie, you know, if you're fatigued and, you know, you're, you're just not on your game because you're still adjusting to the rigors of the long NBA schedule, you're going to continue shooting and continue fucking up your numbers. <laughs> you know, it's just the honesty and what it is. So he dropped a lot. And um, the guy that I got ranked at number nine, same thing. So I got R.J. Barrett at number nine. Right now, R.J. Barrett is averaging 14 points, five rebounds, three assists. He's shooting 38% from the field and 30% from the three-point line. So R.J. Barrett is making me look like a fucking idiot right now because I had him ranked... <laughs> I had him as like my favorite for rookie of the year. Well, no, I actually had Zion as the favorite, but I had John Morant to win it after Zion went down. But I thought RJ Barrett would be like the best rookie or the best player from this class. So he still can turn it around, but these numbers don't give me nothing to to have hope for. (laughs) And last time we did this, he was ranked number one. He was averaging 20 points, uh, almost eight rebounds, three assists. He was shooting 49% from the field, 47% from the three-point line. So RJ Barrett was having a hot start to the season but like I said it's a long season and you start to see it happen now I just picked him up in my fantasy in my fantasy league one like I said because I I believe in the kid but that rookie wall is something that you usually see them hit around this time and then after all-star break they keep it rolling so after all-star break you'll see him probably play some of the best basketball of his rookie year just you know assuming the trend goes like some of the previous rookies have so usually they they may not necessarily start off as hot as he did, but in him starting off that hot, you kind of see that the talent is there. He just, you know, he's going through some things. So once he figures it out after that all-star break, he gets a little bit of time to kind of sit back, you know, realize some things that he was doing wrong, slow down. And by then he should be adjusted to the speed of the game. And in that last quarter of the season, you'll see him kind of, you know, pull it back together. So his efficiency just has to improve. At number eight, I got the same guy I had at number eight last time, Brandon Clark. He is, he's reliable. He just seems like a guy that's been in the league for a long time too. Energy guy. He's going to shoot very efficient. He's shooting 65% from the field and 52% from the three-point line. He's a big man too for the uh, Memphis Grizzlies. Rookie out of Gonzaga. He's an older rookie. Um, He's averaging nearly 13 points, six rebounds, um, and a block. He actually had missed a little bit of time with injury. So that's probably the only reason why he isn't ranked higher on this list. But once he, you know, gets consistent minutes, He's he's pushing what's his name to to do better and I like it. Uh Jaron Jackson Jr. for the Grizzlies. I think Jaron Jackson Jr. is one of the most talented big men in the league, but he irritates the fuck out of me with the way he plays. There's no reason why a six foot eleven, two hundred and forty, two hundred and fifty pound 
big man like Jaron Jackson Jr. that's that young and that athletic should be averaging five rebounds. It's no reason for it. It's like that Christoph Porzingis shit. Like, if you're a big man, get down low. And Jaron had a big game the other night. He scored 43 points. He hit like nine threes. So he has the ability, but it's like, man, just do both, you know? You see Carl Anthony Towns doing it. He'll dominate you inside, but he'll step out and still shoot a lot of threes too. So I think um, with uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., if he if he continues to, you know, hang around the perimeter and, you know, not bang down low and struggle to rebound the ball and continue to get into foul trouble, you'll see somebody like Brandon Clark step up and take advantage of that opportunity 100%. But then again, Jaron Jackson Jr. is their pretty much big man of the future. Him and, and John Morant is who they want to build around. So I think he'll still have his opportunities, but Brandon Clark is going to be around and he's always going to push Jaron Jackson to continue to play better. Um, number seven, I got uh, DeAndre Hunter out of uh, Atlanta. Top five pick out of Virginia. Just won a championship last year, so the kid obviously can play. Right now, he's averaging 13 points, four rebounds, uh, but his efficiency dropped off too. He's shooting 40% from the field and 35% from the three-point line. Not terrible, but not as good as he was shooting the ball. And with him, he's had a couple big games this year. He had one stretch where he was just scoring like 20 you know, on a night-to-night basis, and I watched him play, and the way he gets his shots, I watched him in a game against Detroit. I think that was the best game I've seen him play this year. He was doing it all. He was going to the rim. Uh, he was shooting the ball. He was doing floaters, locking up on the defensive end. He he has the total package. He just needs to obviously slow down a little bit and just adjust to the speed of the game, but I think he's going to be a problem once he actually settles in. Cam Reddish is the guy that they feel has the most upside on that team, but I personally think it might be him because he does it on both ends of the floor. So if you can defend, create your own shot, hit open shots, uh, and still rebound, you know, pretty solid, that, that's definitely somebody you want to build around. And that's the reason why he was a top five pick. So we are approaching the top five, but not quite. I still am um, at number six now. And the guy I got at number six, I'm a big fan of his. This is probably one of my favorite rookies, uh, Tyler Harrell out of, um, out of Kentucky. He is on the Miami Heat right now, and he is a big part of what they do. He comes off the bench, hits big shots, plays tough defense. Um, he really, like, he comes in with that gritty attitude, and I think Jimmy Butler has a huge influence on how well he started his NBA career. They seem to, to get along pretty well. He seemed to accept the, you know, the, the guidance and leadership from Jimmy Butler, and, you know, Jimmy loves the kids. So I like seeing those two play together. Tyler Harrell is fearless, man, averaging 14 points, four rebounds, shooting 42% from the field, so not super bad, and nearly 38% from the three-point line. So he's solid, man. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. I like to see um, that field goal percentage get up closer to about 45, and maybe him, he'll, he'll, he'll have his big scoring night, so he's always going to be you know, in that 15-plus points per game area once he gets a little bit more comfortable. But with this not even being – you know, the best version of Tyler Hero, I think he <laughs> he's going to be scary because that team, they don't have a lot of superstars, but a lot of the guys who are who play a key role for them are younger guys. So they're already showing that they're not afraid of the moment. They're only going to get better. So now we are into the top five. And I actually mentioned this guy at the top of the episode. He just got hurt. If you've been listening, you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> but uh, I'm referring to P.J. Washington, Charlotte Hornets forward. He is averaging 12 points this year, five rebounds, one steal, one block. He is doing exactly what he needs to do. 
shooting 48% from the field, 40% from the three-point line. You can't ask of anything more from a rookie. Um, I would like to see him get a little bit more rebounds, but he's never really been a guy that I expect to come in and get a double-double anyway. So, like I said, he's doing what they drafted him to do, and even more because I don't think they expected him to start every game so far, and he's done that. And he hasn't backed down from the moment. He's made big shots uh, so far. So he's – I have none, <laughs> no criticism of him. He's, he's doing his thing. Um, and then moving on to number four, Rui Hachimara for the Washington Wizards. He is one of my favorites too. He's just like a, a, a nonstop motor, always going. He's shooting 48% from the field, um, 14 points per game, six boards. like to see him get those rebounds up a little bit more, but – once again, he's another one of those guys who I didn't expect to come in and average a double-double. I thought maybe he'd average 15, 16 points and maybe about eight boards. But um, he's working his way towards it, and he, he, plays a, he plays a major role on that Washington Wizards team that is surprisingly a really high-scoring squad. And he's one of the leaders on that team so far behind Bradley Bill. So I, I, I think Rui Hachimara has a bright future in the NBA. But um, at number four, man, he just continues to move up, and he continues to show poise when I watch him play. He never really seems like he's out of control. Sometimes he'll be sped up, but for the most part, it's still controlled. He doesn't try to be somebody who he isn't, which is something you really don't see with a lot of rookies. So now we are into the top three. We only got three more people left. Um, This guy actually, last time we did this, I don't even think he was ranked. And now I got him at number three. I'm talking about Eric Paschal for the um, Golden State Warriors. Right now, he is averaging 16 points, five rebounds. He is shooting 49% from the field. He is a bucket, <laughs> plain and simple. He built like Draymond Green, but he scored like shit. Who he, he get all his buckets in the mid range, inside. You just give him the ball, and he go get you one. You remind me of like Corey Maggette, <laughs> but he he's a bucket man. He's more athletic than you would think he is. He's not shooting the, the best percentage from three. He's a little bit under thirty percent, but I know he's capable, and that's probably just him still adjusting to the distance of the three point shot. And, of course, trying to find his footing in the, in the game. But he's still shooting nearly 50% from the field. So can't complain with that. Um, he's been a big surprise for that team. So as they move forward, I, I definitely think they'll want to keep him around because he's shown to be a valuable piece for this Warrior squad in a dismal season, unfortunately. And uh, we only got two more people left. So number one is not going to be Zion Williamson because he has not played one game yet. <laughs> but I'm waiting. I'm waiting for him to come back. You know why? Because I got him on my fantasy squad, too. I'm telling you, I got the Monstars, y'all. <laughs> At number two, though, for the, for the rookie rankings, I got John Morant. He's averaging just a shade under 19 points, um, about six and a half uh, assists per game, one and a half steals. John Morant is surprising me because the biggest knock on him coming into the league was could he shoot the ball from distance? He's shooting 43%, nearly 43% from the three-point line, and we're almost halfway through the season, so I don't think this is Fugazi. And he's shooting 46% from the field. Watching him, I didn't think he would be able to finish this well this early, like in terms of, you know, layups. You already knew he could dunk. I already knew he could finish. He had a a nasty poster against Aaron Baines the other night. Just just dropped it on his head. (laughs) Just punched on him one time. But he, uh, he, he is having a really, really, really good rookie season. And he is by far the most exciting rookie in the league, one of the most exciting players in the league right now, giving me a reason to watch Memphis basketball, to be honest. So now we only got one more player. Like I said, last time it was R.J. Barrett, and I already said he was like, <laughs> what was R.J. Barrett, number nine? No, I had, damn, I had R.J. Barrett at number nine. He was number one. So he fell from grace, and he has been replaced by the one and only Kendrick Nunn. 
starting point guard for the Miami Heat. Right now, man, he's, he's averaging 16 points, nearly four assists, a little bit over a steal, shooting 35% from the three and 45% from the field. The reason why I had to have him up there is because not only is he playing really well as a rookie and continuing to play well, but he's playing a key role for one of the best teams in the league. John Moran is in Memphis. Um, no disrespect, but it's not a lot of pressure there. He has the, the keys to the car. They gave it to him before he even got drafted by trading Mike Conley. So it's no pressure. You know, he, he's going to have his opportunities to learn, but they're not winning anything. Kendrick Nunn has to learn on the fly because his mistakes can cost them games and they're in a playoff hunt. So I, I think Kendrick Nunn's performances have a little bit more that come with them because, like I said, the pressure is a little different. But he is he, he surprised everyone. I don't think I've ever seen an undrafted – I don't think I've ever seen an undrafted rookie win rookie of the year. So that would be pretty cool to see. I have to look that up after this. I don't know if I've ever seen one. But he's definitely first-team all-rookie. Um, Hill man, John Morant, Rui Hachimura, Eric Paschal, and probably P.J. Washington. So um, those are the rookie rankings. We'll do it again um, probably in a few weeks. I'll probably do one post-All-Star break and then one at the end of the season. But right now, touching base, man, a lot has changed. So... Keep a lookout for two more rookies. Um, I think these guys are going to have a big second half of the season once they get a little bit more shine. Uh, but I'm talking about Jackson Hayes and Kevin Porter Jr. I'm a big fan of both of those guys. Kevin Porter Jr. plays for the um, the Cavaliers, and he's a big-time scorer. He had a nice game against the Rockets the other night, had a couple duels with James Harden. And uh, he's just he, he came into the league with a reputation as a big-time scorer, and he's been doing just that recently. Uh, when given opportunity, he's taking advantage. And then Jackson Hayes for the New Orleans Pelicans. Really, really athletic big man out of Texas. Can finish, um, you know, with the best of them. Really good shot blocker. Just athletic. Runs the floor. Uh, needs to bulk up a little bit and slow down. He just seems like he's always running when I watch him. But um, he, he he's going to have a good second half of the season, especially considering they're, like, out of the playoff race for the most part. So I think they'll let him kind of, you know, get in and, and – have his mistakes so he can learn on the fly. So maybe next year when they're a little bit better, he'll uh, he'll be able to be within the rotation and be a pivotal player for them. So let's go ahead and transition to quarter number three, and we are about to talk about the best benches in the league, you guys. Let's get it. Welcome back, members of the home team, to the second half. I hope you guys are ready to finish strong because right now we are about to talk about the guys that definitely play a pivotal role when it comes to trying to finish games. You got to have a talented bench, man. Your second unit, you can't be a team that is just top heavy with no second unit because when it comes down to it, when guys get hurt, you got to have somebody to turn back to. I remember when I was playing football growing up, coach used to always tell us, you're only as good as your last man. And it sounds corny, but it's real. You know, if we seen it with the Golden State Warriors. Let's say if they had a little bit more depth and they didn't spend so much money loading up on that, that uh, amazing Hamptons 5 starting lineup or that Hamptons 5 lineup they do. But those are the guys that were the big names. Um, if they didn't spend so much money with that and maybe, you know, allocated a little bit more funds to, you know, having a strong bench. When Clay went down, when, when Steph went down, I mean, not Steph, Steph went down this year. But when Clay went down and when KD went down, you know, it wouldn't have seemed like all hope was lost. I know last year if Kawhi would have went down, it would have been tough, but I still think that team would have been good. Um, you know what I mean? So it, it really comes down to a solid team. And no no team 
that is going to go far in the playoffs is going to do it with a thin bench, just being honest. So let's talk about some of the, the best benches in the league, um, and we're going to talk about five of them. So I'm going to start from the, the lowest one all the way up to the top. And at five, this is not biased, you guys. This is facts. Denver Nuggets. <laughs> uh, right now, my squad is averaging 35 bench points per game. And I think that number is just a little lower because overall, as a team, we're not scoring as much as we should be. But um, right now, 35 points per game from the bench. And we're led by we – got, we got some some guys off the bench that could really make a difference when they're playing well. Right now, they've gotten off to a pretty slow start. Last year, they were one of the, the better benches in the league. But they still have the talent. So it's, it's possible that come postseason or in the second half of the year, you know, we can really flex our muscle and show how talented these guys are. So – Monte Morris at point guard, when he comes off, he's one of the more efficient guys, really good decision maker with the rock. Um, we got Mason Plumley, super athletic. He can pass the ball. Uh, he's a finisher. You know, if you throw the ball up, he'll go up and get it. Really good rebounder. He's just a solid big man off the bench. And he brings that athleticism to our lineup that Nikola Jokic doesn't. We got Malik Beasley, lights out shooter, shot 40% from the three-point line last year. He just hasn't really found his groove this year. And I think that's hurt us too. Because last year when he had it going, he'd have some big nights. And he kind of, when he's knocking it down and, you know, everybody else is knocking shots down and the crowd is going crazy in the mile high, like it, it's just, it's fun, you know. So he has to find that stroke. Um, if he doesn't, unfortunately, he might be on the move. And we'll talk a little bit about that too in the final quarter. But, um, and uh, Jeremy Grant, another guy uh, that we got from Oklahoma City in the offseason, super athletic, um, really good shot blocker. Really good defender. He can hit an open three and just super athletic. He's one of those guys that go down the lane, dunk on somebody, and, you know what I mean, just get the crowd into it to where we can go on one of those big runs against the opposing team. So each of those guys can make an impact when given an opportunity. But um, I still got us at number five because they haven't really showed it so much this year. So I know we got the talent, especially when you consider guys like Michael Porter Jr. and Bull Bull when they get back you know, and they get into the swing of it. Because Bo Bo, he's been playing pretty well in the G League from what I've seen. And Michael Porter Jr. is still trying to adjust to playing NBA basketball. So I think once everybody is healthy and, you know, in the second half of the season where we're rolling, we might be even higher on this list. But let's go ahead and look at the number four squad on this team or the number four bench unit, shall I say. Um, I got the Dallas Mavericks. They average about 44 points per game off the bench. And they got a lot of guys who can contribute. They got some some guys who have started games, you know, big games too. De, DeLon Wright played a lot of big minutes for the Toronto Raptors in the playoffs when he was there. But, um, you know, they got him now. He's good at rebounding. He can defend. He can pass the rock. Occasionally score. That's not really his go-to thing, though. But he's not, he's not non-capable. Like, he can put the ball in the basket if possible. And then uh, Jalen Brunson, really solid veteran Plays like a veteran guard. He's only a second-year player, but I feel like all them Villanova guys come into the league automatically with five years of experience. <laughs> That's just how they play. Uh, Seth Curry, lights-out shooter on that team. He had his best year in Dallas of his career, and then he left, played with Portland for a little bit, and now he's back, and he's playing well with them again this year. They got Boban Marjanovic, big man down low, who's actually showing a little bit of range this year, <laughs> but a really solid rebounder, um, could affect – the shots of anybody, considering he's seven foot five inches tall. Uh, they got Max Kleber, guy who can stretch the floor from the power forward center position, about six foot eleven. He's a little athletic too. And then they got JJ Barea, guy who's been 
controlling that team since they won the championship against the Miami Heat when LeBron, D-Wade, and Bosch was there. J.J. Barea has been around for a long time and still finding a way to, to stay relevant. So not the biggest guy, but plays with a lot of heart, and you can't really tell that he's only five foot. You can tell that he's five foot nine when you look at him, but just in terms of, like, how he carries himself on the court, it's like he doesn't know he's five foot nine. <laughs> so really, uh, I, I like this team, man. When I watch them, they're exciting, too. Uh, Luka Doncic just has that team playing with a swagger and confidence that you wouldn't think that they were one of the worst teams in the league last year. They just seem like they've been here before. Um, T- Tim Hardaway Jr. is knocking down big shots. Uh, Porzingis is fit in pretty nice. So the, not only did they have a talented bench, but they just, like I said at one point in this episode, everybody knows their role, and that's very valuable. You know, sometimes you don't need the most talent. You just need guys that will buy in. And if they can buy in and do what you need them to do, you know, that's most important in terms of trying to find that winning recipe. So moving on to number three, I got the Milwaukee Bucks. And of course, you would expect this from one of the best teams in the league. They're damn near number one in almost every metric, but they're pouring in 42 points per game uh, off the bench. George Hill leads that unit, veteran, savvy point guard who can guard both point, point guard and shooting guard. Uh, they got Dante DiVincenzo, another one of those Villanova guys. If you're a good team, I'm telling you, you got to get you a Villanova guy. Uh, he stands about six foot four, six five. He can knock down shots, athletic. They got Pat Connaughton, who basically does the same thing. Uh, Robin Lopez could defend. He's actually stepping out and shooting threes now. He's been hanging out with his brother too much. Because <laughs> I thought Brooke, man, like Brooke shoots way too many fucking threes for me. But as you can tell, I'm not a fan of big men who shoot too many threes. If you get that in your bag, cool, I get it. If you're in your Birkin, that's fine, but just don't make it to where that's all you do. You know what I mean? It shouldn't be your bread and butter if you're seven foot tall. The bread and butter should be going down low and getting the bucket because that's going to be the easiest shot for a guy that big. But they got him, and then another guy who's been doing it for a long time, Ersan Ilyasova, really, really, really talented power forward who can shoot, stretch the floor. Um, you know, if you need him to start, he can still go in and give you big minutes as a starter. They got Kyle Korver off the bench, Sterling Brown. Like, they have a really, really, really deep second unit, and it's almost hard. It's you, You'd be hard-pressed to find a night where every single one of these guys don't show up. It's usually going to be about two or three of them that's going to play well. George Hill and Ilyasova, DiVincenzo might have a big night. Connaughton might have a big night. Like, they're so deep that – Two or three of those guys are bound to play well, and they're going to set the tone, you know, for the rest of the bench. And not to mention, if Giannis is on the floor with any of these guys, he attracts so much attention that they just have to be ready to, you know, catch and shoot. So I think uh, this team, I like them too because they play defense. George Hill is a veteran, and if he can get down and defend, of course the young guys are going to follow, so I like that. Um, The number two squad that I got on here, the Miami Heat. Miami Heat are averaging nearly 43 points per game, just just a tad more than the Milwaukee Bucks, but I think their bench is one of my favorites, and it's because their bench come in like they're starters. <laughs> like It's like they don't know that they're not the starters. They come in, Goran Dragic, he's hurt right now, but Goran Dragic is a bucket. Um, Tyler Harrell is a bucket. Gritty, tough. Uh, Kelly Olenek knocked down big shots. He's had playoff experience. He's not afraid of the moment. Justice Winslow, he kind of interchanges out of the starting lineup and coming off the bench. He's been hurt for a lot of this season, but they just got versatile guys. Like Tyler Harrell could, could run the offense. He could also play a catch-and-shoot role. 
He's not afraid to to crash the rim if necessary. Goran Dragic, same thing. He can do all all that you pretty much need from him on the offensive end. He can shoot the ball. He can go to the rack. Um, he can facilitate if need be. <coughs> and then um, Kelly Olynyk too. He can put the ball on the floor at seven feet tall, but he's also not afraid to um, you know take a mid range shot if if they uh, overhelp on the three. You know he can put the ball on the floor, take that extra step up, and knock that down. And then Justice Winslow, he's a Swiss Army knife. Uh, he can pass the rock. He's played a little bit of point in his career. He's one of their best defenders on the perimeter. He can rebound. I'm a big Justice Winslow fan. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the league. But he got to show me, man. You got to stay healthy so you can show these people how nice you are. Because I don't think he's lived up to his draft stock, considering he went top 10. But I do think he's done a good job at, you know, making making the best of his situation and doing what's asked of him. So Justice Winslow is another one of those guys that kind of sets the tone for that second unit. And he pretty much is like the the poor man's Jimmy Butler for the bench because they kind of do a lot of the same things. They both play defense. They both can facilitate. Uh, I think Jimmy Butler is just a way better scorer, of course. So moving on, man, we got one more squad left. Who is the best bench mob in the league? I got the L.A. Clippers, man. I mean, was it really even, like, a debate? <laughs> like, did we think it would be any other team? Like, they have two guys that come off the bench that damn near average 20. Like, these guys, you know how I said the Miami Heat come off the bench like they're starters and they feel like they're starters? Well, these guys practically are starters. Like, for any other team, they will be probably leading scorers. Montrez Harrell is going to finish games. Lou Williams is going to finish games. So, it's almost not fair, but, of course, with those two coming off the pine, they lead the Clippers bench, and that's the highest scoring bench in the league. They average 51 points per game. So that's a lot of production, but they also got guys that come off that are tough. You got, um, what's his name, Jermichael Green that comes off. He can stretch the floor. Patrick Patterson, same thing, veteran savvy. Uh, Landry Shamit, he's hurt right now, but he comes off the bench. Um, Jerome Robinson can score occasionally whenever he you know what I mean? <laughs> I think he's been a bust, too, because he was a lottery pick. They, I remember he came after, uh, what's his name, uh, Donovan Mitchell, and they were just trying to find that next guy that nobody saw coming. I think they missed with that one. But um, Rodney Magruder's another one of those guys. They just, this team needs more size, in my opinion, but these two guys make it to where, like, it's not as glaring of an issue because they come off the bench, and it's almost like, damn, we had to deal with, the one-two punch of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard in the first quarter. Then the second quarter, we got to deal with Sweet Lou and Trez. Then in the third quarter, Kawhi and Paul George come back, and Lou was probably still on the court, and Trez. And then in the fourth quarter, they're all going to finish the game. So this ball club is, is one of the best in the league. And just like I said, the best teams are going to have competitive benches. It's not a coincidence that every single team that I have in the top five benches are playoff teams. And, you know, pretty good teams at that. Clippers are number... Think what are they number two? I said at the top of the episode. Let me go back and look at it. But the Clippers are are number two in the West, and then you got the Heat. They're number two in the East. The Mavericks are number three in the West. The Denver Nuggets are number four in the West. You know what I mean? So it's it's definitely a trend that the best teams have the best benches, and then the Bucks, of course, they're first in the East. So. Those are my top five bench squads. Of course, it can change throughout the season because right now we're going to get into, um, you know, some of the trade talk and the trade chatter that I've been hearing and reading around. And that definitely could change, you know, the the second unit of a lot of teams. So 
let's go ahead and transition into the fourth quarter. Before we get up out of here, man, we're going to talk about the players who are most likely to be traded this season. So let's talk about it. So I kind of alluded to this earlier in the episode when I was previewing the topics, but I'll explain it a little bit more, too, before I start naming the players who I think are possibly going to be dealt this year. So the NBA trade season is is basically underway. And what I mean by that is that um, December 15th was the date to where now teams have players who can be traded. So as of December 15th, more than 90% of the league becomes eligible for potential deals. And I kind of talked about this on one of the free game segments. I think it was the one I did with the Miami Heat or maybe the one with the Portland Trailblazers. I forget. But 40% of the league was free agents last year. And when a free agent signs a contract, they can't be traded until December 15th. So now a lot of players who join new teams that maybe it didn't work out and it's not looking like it's going to work out. Because like I said, at this point in the season, it's probably concrete what we're looking at. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're going to try to fix that wrong or right that wrong. And a lot of teams can use some of these guys. Like, when it comes to mind, um, I'll talk about them on here. But, yeah, you know, let me just wait. I'll talk about it when, when I get to it. But it's a lot of guys who, who joined new situations and, you know, maybe teams took chances. And it just didn't turn out the way that they thought it was. So now they have the opportunity to move these guys and, you know, and better their team. And I was the reason why I didn't do the free game segment today is because now – I have a lot more time to kind of look and I have more flexibility in terms of players I can move around now because I was doing a free game segment with limited amount of players that can be traded because of that, you know what I mean, that December 15th deadline I was waiting for. So now when I start doing that segment, it's going to sound a lot more realistic because I have more people who can work with that might actually be getting traded in real life. So um, and keep in mind, the NBA hasn't had a trade since Chris Paul and that was on July 16th. So that's the longest stretch without a trade in the NBA between free agency and the trade deadline since 1968. So, yeah, you could you can believe that a lot of teams are going to start making some moves on their roster, especially when you consider how crazy the offseason was. So right now, the Golden State Warriors are no longer the dominant team that they were for the past couple of years. So everybody feels like this is their year to capitalize. So you're going to see a lot of teams going for it because that window is closing. So some teams that I thought before I get into the players these are the teams that I think are going to be the most active and maybe not the I'll say some of these like the Cavaliers are going to be active um the Blazers are going to be active because like I said they they have two veteran all-star caliber guards in their backcourt that they want to they want to see you know, be playing for something in their prime. This is a team that just went to the Western Conference Finals last year. So if you think they're about to miss the playoffs, you got another thing coming. They're going to try to figure some shit out. Uh, The Boston Celtics, I think they need to make a move. They need to get a big man down there um, to kind of hold it down. I don't think they've really had anybody step up and fill the void of Al Horford, in my opinion. So I think they'll make some moves. Maybe not a lot, but they'll definitely try and shore up that big man spot. Um, The Philadelphia 76ers is another one. They need some shooting. I don't think... They, I think that that loss of J.J. Redick is really, really, really hurting them. Not that Josh Richardson isn't doing a good job, but it's just he can shoot it, but he's not a J.J. Redick. J.J. is like the ultimate sniper, you know, so if you throw him the rock, you, you have to respect it. And if you have Ben Simmons who's going to the cup and Bede who's nominating down low, Tobias Harris who's stretching the floor, it's kind of hard to pay attention to J.J. Redick, especially considering how well he moves without the ball. So, um that's another team that I think will be looking to, to add to their squad. Uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder, 
they were active all offseason. Uh, they're in rebuild mode. They have a lot of pieces uh, that they can definitely move. Um, when you look at Daniil Gallinari, veteran player who really doesn't need to be there because some team probably could be using him. He still can give you 18 to 20 points, but they don't need that 20 because they ain't playing for shit. They are like the A seed in the playoffs right now, but I think that's just – I think that's a fluke. I think that's just from the teams in the West beating each other up because they have a losing record too. Um, Orlando, I think, will be active. They're a really good defensive team, but I think they need some more scoring on the perimeter. And then Miami is the last team. I think Miami wants to add another star. They kind of um, they kind of did what you like teams to do going into free agency. Brooklyn Nets was a great example of this last year. Play hard. You got a lot of young guys who buy in. You establish a culture and you establish an identity that people want to join. So now you have players who are more willing to join that club because they can see where that is headed. You know, they can see what direction the Miami Heat are going in. Maybe before the season, it looked a little bleak. But now, you know what I mean? You, you see what they're looking like. I don't know if they should add a star player because I think Jimmy Butler, like I said, can clash with them. But they might need to add a few more pieces just to make sure they're, um, you know, just ready for the postseason because they're going to run into a lot of obstacles in the playoffs. And I just want to make sure that you know, they're, they're just as scary in the regular season. Or I wouldn't even say that. I just want to – I think the Heat need to make sure they have more upside because right now they're playing great, but I don't think their ceiling is that high. I feel like they're kind of reaching their peak already. So those are the teams I think that will be active. And now I'm getting to the players. So I started out I was only going to do five players. Then I was like, let's do 10. I'm like, fuck, I got 12. <laughs> I just start ripping off names, and I'm like, I think all these guys can get moved. Uh, the first one I'm going to talk about is Paul Millsap. I think uh, – and I'm, I'm going to run through these pretty quick because, I mean, we're almost towards the end of the episode, too. I'm running out of time. But with Paul Millsap, he – our team is, is playing a slow pace. And I think we're best when we get up and down the floor, especially when you consider that, you know, we play in Denver. So if you're running up and down the court, it takes advantage of the opposing team trying to get their air. They're not used to that. So – at home, especially if we get out running, Paul Millsap, don't get me wrong, he's been solid. And I think that's why he still has value. A lot of teams can use him, especially some playoff teams. But I don't think he's a good fit for us um, at the direction that we're going now. Because just think about the players we have. We got Jamal Murray, who wants to run and shoot. We have Nikola Jokic, who's always looking to pass and advance the ball up the floor. Mason Plumley runs the floor. Malik Beasley runs the floor and shoots and dunks the ball like Jeremy Grant, we have a lot of guys who are athletes that we need to just kind of like let them flourish in the way that they want to play, but we're kind of like slowing the game down, and Paul Millsap is one of those guys that thrives in a slow game. So I think we need to make a move, get him out of there, um, and, you know, replace him with somebody who, who can get up and down the floor. And then uh, another guy who can get up with the best of them that I think should be on the move is Aaron Gordon for the Orlando Magic. Uh, I don't think he's a bad player, don't get me wrong. But I think that the emergence of Jonathan Isaac has kind of negated the need for Aaron Gordon. So he's still a young guy, and he has value because I, I do think he can get better. His jump shot is steadily improving. But um, Aaron Gordon plays the four, and Jonathan Isaac is about 6'10", 6'11", and he's one of the best defensive small forwards slash hybrid power forwards in the league. And the way the NBA is going – you kind of almost want like a hybrid guy playing the four position. So you got Nikola Vucevic down low, who's an all-star big man. You got Mo Bamba you bring off the bench. So 
now you get Jonathan Isaac at the four who can stretch the floor too and give Vucevic more room to operate. But then if you get rid of Aaron Gordon, you can get a scorer now. And I'm talking about a go-to scorer. I feel like that was one of the things that they missed in the playoffs last year when they lost to the Raptors. They just need a go-to guy, somebody who can go get a bucket. And I don't – Evan Fournier can score, but I just don't believe him. I don't believe in him as that guy. And I don't think they believe in him as that guy, to be honest. So I think Aaron Gordon can be on the move. He still has a lot of value. He can still end up having a pretty solid career, but – I don't think he's a good fit with them anymore. If it was up to me, I would I would take Isaac over him just because I feel like he's a better fit with that that lineup that they have. Um, another guy who I think is this guy is a big time scorer, but I don't I think he's wasting years where he's at is Demar Derozan. Um, San Antonio is not going to win shit in the near future. They're in rebuild mode. Um, the great players that they had are gone, and they're just looking for the next great player. And DeMar DeRozan is not going to carry this team in the West to any, you know, substantial playoff success. So I think with um, with him, if he can even land on a team like Orlando, you know, that'll be solid because they struggle to shoot the three. So they might shy away from somebody like him. But I can see him fitting, especially because he can play that two or three. You can go a lineup with. DJ Augustine, because Markel Fultz and DeMar DeRozan is a recipe for a three-point disaster. <laughs> but you can go DJ Augustine at the one. Uh, you could even go, I imagine they will probably have to move Fournier or maybe Terrence Ross. But you can you can get creative with the lineups. You can put Fultz at the two because he can guard. You can put DeRozan at the three, Jonathan Isaac, Vucevic. They have more flexibility. You just need a guy who can go get a bucket if need be. Um, Daniil Gallinari. He's a guy who I just talked about with OKC. He has some value. They're in rebuild mode, so I don't see them necessarily holding on to him. Uh, I think OKC is going to continue to trade away their talent <laughs> because they have no need for it. So I think Daniel Gallinari will be on the move. He's a knockdown shooter. Uh, he can just get a bucket. That's what he does, and it's a lot of teams who can use a guy like that. Uh, I know specifically the Miami Heat because right now they start uh, Duncan Robinson, and he's been shooting the lights out. Don't get me wrong. But I think if you have a guy like Daniel Gallinari, you have a solidified score that doesn't have an ego because he's never really been a superstar. He just has to buy into playing defense. And I don't know if that's something he'll be willing to do. But at this point of his career, you, you might as well try because that's the best situation he has to, to win anything. Another shooter that I think is going to be on the move for sure is uh, Davis Bertans for the Washington Wizards. This guy is one of the best shooters in the league. He's been, he's been playing really, really, really well. And I don't know how because literally all he's doing is shooting threes. <laughs> like, when I watch his game, he's about six foot ten. He don't really go to the cup. Um, he barely puts the ball on the floor, but he's just catching it and launching that motherfucker, and it's going down. Um, he's a really good player. He's really built his value up in Washington, and I think a lot of teams have, you know, took notice to him. So I can see him being on the move. I told you teams like Philadelphia need a shooter, so I can see him fitting in with them. Uh, another guy who is a knockdown shooter who I was kind of alluding to at the beginning of this uh, quarter, but I didn't want to spoil it, is J.J. Reddick. I don't think the experiment with him in uh, New Orleans has paid off. He's been in the playoffs, I think, every year of his career, and it's about to end this year, and I don't think he wants that. So they're a young team. They need to rebuild and I don't think J.J. Redick needs to be around for the rebuilding process. I also want to see Drew Holiday. I, I, I would like to see Drew Holiday get traded, but do I think he will get traded? I don't think so. 
Um, but if he did, it wouldn't surprise me at the same time. He's in his prime right now, and I just want to see Drew Holiday playing for a winning team because he plays on both sides of the floor, and you just hate to see him going so hard for a team that's just losing every night. But J.J. Redick has a lot of value because he can knock the ball. He can knock down threes at a high clip, one of the best shooters in the league. So I think they'll, they'll definitely shop him because he has a lot of value, and they'll probably just continue their rebuild. So I only got six more guys left. Um, I'll rip through these last couple ones, and we'll get up out of here. So at number six, I got Rocco, guy that just had a birthday I just talked about, um, elite defender, 3 and D player, Nothing special, but special on the defensive end. And when I say nothing special, I mean just offensively. He's just going to catch and shoot, not really going to dribble the ball, not really going to go to the cup much. But in terms of defense, I've been hearing a lot of rumors about him possibly going to Golden State for D'Angelo Russell and a couple couple other players. But I don't see that working out. I don't think it will make sense for Golden State. I think they can get more for D'Lo if they do indeed decide to trade him. But if they trade D'Lo, I think it'll probably be in, like, the NBA draft, like the offseason. I don't think they'll move him in the first season they acquired him, considering he just came off an all-star year. But this offseason, I've seen some crazy things. So, you know what I mean? I could be wrong. Uh, at number five, I got Chris Dunn. And Chris Dunn has been a bust. But I think Chris Dunn could, could revitalize his career on a playoff team. He is basically Marcus Smart, if you think about it. Elite defender. You just don't know about him because he plays for Chicago. But he's an elite defender. He can dribble the ball. He can set guys up. Um, Not the best shooter, but can hit an open shot around 32 33%. uh, Can get to the rim. I think he can have some big nights for a playoff team. But it's mainly just that defense he can play on both guards. I think he is elite on that end. And if you put him on a playoff team that just needs a dog and somebody who can just accept the role as being a, a primary defender, on the opposing team's best guard, I think he can have a lot of value. He's not going to be a uh, the point guard that most people thought he would be coming out of Providence, you know, as a top five pick. But at the same time, he can still, you know, salvage salvage his career by by just buying into a role. And I feel like he's doing that with Chicago, but it's just going to waste because they're a bad team. So I think some teams that make some move for him, uh, I think they'll they'll notice the defensive prowess that he has, you know, despite still being a young player. Number four, I got a. I mentioned this guy actually, Malik Beasley. I think he's on the move. Um, he hasn't really been playing well for us this year. He has a lot of talent. Um, we have a lot of guys who kind of do what he can do. Uh, when you look at Will Barton, Jamal Murray, um, who else do we have that can do the same thing? Gary Harris. Like, he's just going to shoot threes. The only thing he does better than the guys I named is he's more athletic, but he's just a scorer like a J.R. Smith, but just doesn't take his baddest shots. But I like what he brings to the table, man. He's a knockdown shooter. He can score the ball, and that's his role. So I think a lot of teams will go after him just because it hasn't really worked out to start the year. But uh, he has some value around the league, I would imagine. Um, Andre Iguodala, he is definitely going to get traded. He hasn't played all year for the Memphis Grizzlies, and the reason why is because I don't (laughs) think they wanted to see him accidentally get hurt, and then they're stuck with him, and then they can't move him or the value is lower. He just came off an NBA Finals appearance, so he's still ready to play big-time basketball. You probably see a lot of contenders try and go after him. And Memphis is in rebuild mode, so they'll definitely you know, hang him out there for the best bidder and see what they can get in return. So Iguodala for sure will be gone. i seen a report that said Chris Paul from Wolves actually may not be traded this year, at least not this season. I disagree, and who am I to tell Wolves that that's not going to fucking happen? But just in my opinion... 
It doesn't make sense for him to stay in Oklahoma City. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is their point guard of the future, and he's already ready to take over the helms. Dennis Schroeder is the backup point guard, and you could even start him at the one, you know what I mean, and, and let Shea play the two because all he really wants to do is score anyway. But you have flexibility. You don't need three point guards back there. Chris Paul still has value. I feel like they let him play a lot of this first half of the season, gave him big minutes to show that he still has value. They need to trade him while he's healthy because if Chris Paul gets hurt again, they're just going to be stuck with damaged goods. So I think uh, a lot of teams could use him. I know in the free game segment, uh, I thought about making a – I've actually heard a lot of things about Miami looking to acquire uh, – at first I think it was Russell Westbrook, but also looking for to acquire Chris Paul. And I feel like he fits their identity. He's a rugged defender. Um, you know what I mean? He'll buy into it. But the only thing with that is they move the ball, and he's kind of a ball stopper because he's a, a primary, you know, setup distributor. So I think uh, Chris Paul is on the move. And, um, you know, it just sucks to see that one of the all-time great point guards is starting to get to that point in his career where he's just getting bounced from team to team. But hopefully he lands on a contender to where he could, you know, finally make it to the finals because I feel like, Chris Paul should have been in at least one finals by now, but he hasn't. So hopefully he can latch on to a contender and show, you know, that he can still have some big performances for a playoff team. And then the last one, uh, last player, the Cavaliers team. <laughs> they about to trade. They about to tra- I seen a report that said everybody is available except Darius Garland. Why Darius Garland? I don't know because he hasn't done shit so far. But for some reason, they hate Colin Sexton, even though he scores like 16 points and pretty efficiently. Uh, but I don't think they see him as a point guard of the future because he's allergic to passing. So I get it. <laughs> but still, like, you gotta you, you you gotta see that you know he still has a lot of development he could do. These one and done players coming to the league, you know, what I mean, still learning how to play basketball essentially. So you gotta let them get room to grow. You know, what I mean, and be around the veterans and see you know how to how to go about the game. But Jordan Clarkson is probably on the move. Tristan Thompson is probably on the move. Kevin Love is for sure on the move. I think he he might go to Portland. Uh, I feel like both sides are desperate. The Cavaliers want to get rid of him. And, um, you know, he's from Oregon. And he already said he'd like to play there. So I think there's mutual interest there, but we'll see where he lands. But, yeah, the Cavaliers team is about to get traded, man. <laughs> Nobody on that roster will be there past the trade deadline in February. <laughs> But uh, thank you guys for tuning in, man. That's been another episode of the ISO Podcast. I had a lot of fun uh, preparing this episode, and I had a lot of fun, uh, you know, hanging out with you guys, of course. Before we get up out of here, um, oh, one thing I forgot to mention, too. So my boy, Justin, uh, I went to college with him. He's a coach at um, Eastern Arizona University. Um, It's a JC, and I went to one of their games uh, this past week, and... Man, I'm glad I went. <laughs> I left work early, and I caught it. They played against uh, Glendale Community College, and it came down to a buzzer-beating shot. I think I'll, I'll post it on my story on the uh, Facts page. But, um, yeah, man, it came down to a game-winning shot, and it was fantastic because I, I kind of saw it coming. Dude was a, a knockdown shooter, and he got into a position to where he got the pump fake off, got his feet squared up, and he knocked it down as the buzzer went off. So that was an exciting game, man. That I need to get out to more, see more uh, college games, especially being in Arizona. It's a lot of college teams that I can catch. But, um, yeah, that was definitely an exciting game. So shout out to them, man. And, uh, yeah, man, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Before we get up out of here, though, I also want to, um, you know, introduce our ISO Spotlight. So I talked about Roddy Rich's new album, 
please excuse me for being antisocial. So this track that I'm going to play is actually from that. And this is my favorite song <laughs> on the album. Like, I've been listening to this shit like crazy. And the whole album, really, like, once I listen to one song, I end up listening to the whole album because it's just straight bangers. You don't turn it off. Uh, another person who dropped the album that I liked was uh, Fabulous. That Cold Summer album is, is dope. But um, this track that I'm about to play is called The Box. It's the second song on Roddy Rich's project. And uh, just like always, man, stay safe. Stay out of trouble. Oh, and then before, last thing, too, I want to say is uh, I'm going to have a special guest on here next week. So uh, please, please tune in. It's going to be a lot of fun because me and him get into it a lot. <laughs> Another one of these Laker fans, man. I'm, I'm around nothing but Laker fans, but sure to be funny because this is going to be the episode before Christmas. So we'll have a lot of fun with that one. And of course, we'll preview the uh, Christmas Day game. So um, without further ado, man, this is The Box by Roddy Rich. Y'all be safe, stay out of trouble. And until next time, peace. Buzzing all the bells out the box. I just hit a lick with the box. Had to put the stick in the box. Mm. Pour up the whole damn seal. I'ma get lazy. I got the mojo deals. We been trapping like the 80s. She said the nigga so got the cash out. Told him wipe a nigga no. Say slash slash. I won't never sell my soul. And I can back that. And I really wanna know. Cruise the city in a bulletproof Cadillac Cause I know these niggas out there where the bag at Gotta move smarter, gotta move harder Nigga try to give me five my water I lay his ass down on my son, on my daughter I had the Draco with me, Dwayne Carter Lot of niggas out here playing, ain't ballin' I done put my whole arm in the rim, Vince Carter And I know poppy get a key for the quarter Shotty belly seen the double C's, I bought her Got a bitch that's looking like a Leah, she a model I got the pink slip up My whip is keyless Compton, I'm about to get the key to the city Fuck swat, buzzing all the bells out the box. I just hit a lick with the box, had to put the stick in the box. Mm. Pour up the whole damn seal, I'ma get lazy. I got the mojo deals, we been trapping like the 80s. She said the nigga so got the cash out. Told him wipe a nigga, no. Say slash slash. I won't never sell my soul, and I can back that. And I really wanna know. I've been moving them out And steal with me Then he got the blues in the pouch Took her to the forest Put the wood in the mouth Bitch don't wear no shoes in my house The private I'm flying in I never wanna fly again I take my chances in traffic She sucking on dick No hands with it I just made the rolly plane Like a landing strip I'm a 2020 president candidate I done put a hundred bands On Zimmerman shit I've been moving real gangsta So that's why she pick a crib Shawty call me Crisco Cause I pop my shit Got it out the mud There's nothing you can tell me Yeah When I had a job Wealthy. Yeah, I had the coop at the lot. Tony for a 12 fuck swap. Buzzing all the bells out the box. I just hit a lick with the box. Had to put the stick in the box. Mm. Pour up the whole damn seal. I'ma get lazy. I got the mojo deals. We been trapping like the 80s. She said the nigga so. Got the cash out. Told him wipe a nigga. No. Say slash slash. I won't never sell my soul.
and I can back that And I really wanna know Where you at, where? Put at the up I shoot at the cup Woo. I got knots on top of my nuts She said she won't date Took her to six flags I took her to nuts <laughs> Put on a roller coaster Nigga about to fuck off top Pulling out the coupe at the lot Told him for a 12-fuck swap